0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechEU. I am your host, Andriy Degeler. It has been another eventful week in European tech, and while we are working on a new, better way to bring you the news in this show, I would certainly recommend you to check out the daily roundups that we publish on TechEU almost every day except Fridays, as well as subscribe to our weekly newsletter. And that one actually comes out on Friday, so in just a few hours after I record this. Every week we pull together all the funding deals that we have tracked, all the m deals all the rumors all the investor and startup news everything we've got and we offer it to our subscribers as a very nicely structured very digestible newsletter so do take a look today go to tag.eu and click the newsletter link on top do subscribe today and check it out as i said it's coming out in just a few hours after i record this so maybe you will still have the time before we hit publish on that latest issue now, let's get down to business. This week, I wanted to play you an interview that our editor Robin Wouters recorded with Teddy Rauf, the founder and CEO of a company called Catalog, that's Catalog with a Q. This startup's product is self-described as a paradigm shift in how people work, and I would say it illustrates very well what happens when a formally trained architect and someone with this very well-trained design thinking approach applies his talents and skills to a piece of software. So let's listen to this one together.
1: Hey, this is Robin Walters from Tech.U, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, as usual, by Tariq Rauf. He is the founder of a company called Catalog, Catalog with a Q. Uh, I'm sure you have to pronounce it that way all the time, Catalog with a Q, but a very interesting uh, London-based startup. Tariq, thank you so much for taking the time to join us for the
2: podcast, and maybe tell us a little bit more about yourself and the company. Thank you, Robin. Great to be here. So Catalog is, is a work hub that fixes many of the things that people hate about working in the modern workspace environment today. It like centralizes people, teams, projects, tools like Asana, Slack, Zoom, Calendar, Drive, et cetera, in, a, in an intuitive and easy to use and thoughtful way. You can think about it as a sort of home for work or the digital office, or as we call it, a work hub. It gives employees an easy, streamlined way to collaborate and also the information and tools necessary to get the bigger picture and get the job done.
1: Fantastic. Then why did you start a company? Take me back to the beginning and uh, tell me why you, uh, you jumped into this.
2: So um, my story goes back to uh, when I was seven. I started coding when I was seven. I've been building things for, for a very long time now. Um, I sold my first piece of software when I was 12.
0: My interest wow. in,
2: in design, arts and sciences took me to architecture. So I studied architecture. I'm a formerly trained architect. I did very well in architecture and, and got to work with a renowned Architect or star architect, as they call them, called Charles Correa from Bombay. He was, a, he was a chair professor at MIT and built really amazing buildings around the world. I worked on buildings in like Portugal, Canada, India, and they're mostly cultural and research institutions, very large cultural and research institutions. But I acquired a, a sense of a keen sense of uh, people first, context conscious, sustainably focused mindset and, th- and design systems thinking context while I was there. But eventually my love for startups and building things quickly like took over and I continued my path down software and I worked with a whole bunch of early stage startups. I eventually moved to the UK, I'm from India, and uh, worked at a couple of early stage startups. And then I joined TransferWise, also known as WISE, leading their growth team for a couple of years, and then I moved to Amazon where I managed initiatives for Prime globally across 180 markets. I got my permanent residence in the UK, and the week after, I quit. I was like, "I need this. This problem is so big. It is every single company you go to, every single team you go to, every single geography you go to. You see this chaotic way of of modern working that I think uh, needed somebody to go. Let's take a step back, think about the like, build this again from first principles, and reimagine what the modern workspace could look like." we started this company. It was, just, it was just five of us in the beginning, and in late 2019, we're close to 34 now. We raised a, a $3.5 million seed round from led by Mosaic, and um, the founders of TransferWise, Indeed, uh, even Bright, and the CTO of Twilio joined in, in, in that seed round. And then we grew to about 12, 13 people, and we raised a Series A, led by Atomico, joined by Salesforce Ventures, and uh, New Angels, Jacob De who founded Izatrol, Tyne Lammers from Adyen, and, and a few other folks joined. Now we're at, we've been growing pretty quickly as as a company and and as as a product, and here we are.
1: Yeah, it's quite an interesting uh, journey already so far. But maybe take me back to to the beginning. So late twenty nineteen, you started this company because you said. You know you you noticed that how chaotic it was in in in, in the companies I assume that you worked at the, the both transfer wise when they were still growing up I would say and amazon one of the biggest uh, tech uh, companies in the world were they were was it specifically those experiences that sort of taught you that okay these problems that people face in 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 companies are pretty much the same everywhere
2: uh, it's they, they reaffirmed it so my my first desire to rebuild how people worked goes back to 2013. That's when I first built the first prototype for the for the product. It was the foundational first principles mindset that all of the data that people need for work is already in systems, right? So if you have code, it's in GitHub. If you have projects, it's in Asana or Trello or somewhere where it's being tracked digitally. Communications are happening in email and Slack. They're all happening. They're, all of the information that you need is in a database somewhere. Right? It's not on pieces of paper, as was the case maybe 20 years ago. So this insight sort of led me to think there must be an intuitive way to structure all of this digital data. That's where it, it, it sort of started. And uh, as and when I was working in um, startups and small companies and working uh, with other companies and worked in Transferwise and in Amazon, like more and more conviction around, look, this needs to be done. Nobody has figured this out. Absolutely nobody has gone, look, this needs, this needs a whole scale rethink of, of what modern working means and what a system for modern working looks like. And that's when uh, the, that was the genesis of the, the idea.
1: Great. But that also tells me that you sort of had the problem that you wanted to see fixed. So you, I assume that you went out looking for other solutions to see what the competitive landscape would look like. So, um, but in mean, 2013, that must have been completely different to what it looks like today, right? So maybe paint me a picture here of what's already out there.
2: So the, nothing. Like the, the most solutions involve people and manual processes and manual ways of meetings and status stuff. And like the, the way to solve this problem in most companies is to throw more people at the problem. Like there are large organizations that have entire teams dedicated to this. And uh, we had a we had a, um, a product manager from Square who said that there's a 15 person team dedicated to making sure operations at the tooling level is, is managed across the organization. There are 3,200 people now. I think probably more, this was a few months ago, so probably more than that. And uh, this, this is a, a pretty big problem in big organizations. I remember, I tried to solve this problem for myself within the teams I was in, and it was all hacky solutions. And none of them, we couldn't focus on solving this problem while I was in another team, of course. So I needed to get the space, time, and resources to fully take a step back and solve it for everyone.
1: Yeah. So describe it to me again. It's a virtual workspace that sort of takes data from the siloed places that they're in now to unlock sort of the insights that you have when you put them together in sort of a centralized uh, space.
2: Yeah. But it's also the the foundational pieces of the, the core elements of, of the workspace are people, teams, and projects. So we structure information around, a, say, a Robin at TechEU or the EU team at TechEU or the specific podcast project that uh, Robin is doing, for instance. And, so, and that scales across every organization. So whether you're a 20-person startup or a 5,000-person company, every information is built around these three key domain models. And so it's not like a wiki where you can arbitrarily create a structure that makes sense to a one specific part of the company or one specific part of the team. And it starts to break apart when you throw 5,000 people at it.
1: I haven't checked out the product myself, but it sounds like I should. I mean, what we're using internally is uh, Slack. We use uh, yep. G Suite, of course. We use um, Zoom and other platforms to to do the meetings. Uh, It sounds like this, and Trello for workflow, for example, so that those are all tools that I assume you can integrate into. That's
2: right. Okay. I need to check it out properly. (laughs) Really sorry I didn't before. It's the same thing that I mentioned, like in, in architecture, you sort of have to start people first and then figure out what the size of the problem is and then, you know, work backwards. So if you're building something for 5,000 people, you have to start with, I need to build something for 5,000 people. How do you manage that many people flows and requirements and rooms and all of that? You can't start with like, I'll build one room and then you know, stack more rooms on top of it as we go. Like that doesn't work in, in sort of architecture, but the exact opposite happens in software. So if you think about Slack, the software you mentioned, the origins of it was say a 10 person team building for a 10 person team. And the information architecture and the scale of the interfaces were built for a small team. You can build five, 10 channels and it would still work. Now there are 10,000 people teams using the same solution with not many differences, you know what I mean? The number of channels will scale to 5,000 in, in a fairly large organization, and there's, it, doesn't, it doesn't quite fit that sort of scale. So if you were to build something for 5,000 people, 10,000 people, what does that look like? And so that's the sort of approach that is, is driving some of the thinking here.
1: Yeah, very interesting approach, I would say. You incorporated or or launched the company late 2019. Mm -hmm. Of course, just a couple of months later, something happened, I won't name it. Uh, But of course, that changed everything. Again, the way that we think about work and especially remote work and and collaboration tools. uh, How has that affected your thinking about the product specifically?
2: Um, so, th- there's been a lot more interest in the space, definitely, as a consequence. And it's, it's, it's an unfortunate event that happened to the world, and a lot of people have paid an enormous price for it, and it still continues to be an enormous thorn in, in, in society. But the space of remote hybrid working has definitely been on, uh, on rocket fuel. But the problem that we were solving for existed well before the pandemic. So, if you take any medium-sized organizations, even, say, 300, 500 people, uh, they were a distributed team. They might be located in the same geo or they might be distributed across multiple geos, but that's a distributed team. If you're working in Facebook, your team was spread across seven different countries. So they all had distributed async problems well before the pandemic. You can have a 100 person organization in the same building, but they all have distributed working problems because they are on multiple floors. They don't have, they can't, the systems were, were already being built for distributed working. It's it's obviously been accelerated to a, to a degree that people weren't quite ready for, but it's the same problems, just a little bit more acute.
1: Does it also mean that uh, larger organizations started looking at the type of solutions that you provided that you would think in the beginning? Like, were you targeting a different audience, I guess I, I'm asking?
2: No, the the targeting was was still like you know, mid-sized companies, mid-sized and larger companies that have lots of people, lots of teams, lots of tools. And had trouble with centralizing all of that information and keeping on top of everything that's happening. How are you
1: implementing what you've learned as head of growth for TransferWise in Catalog specifically to, of course, go to market and get uh, customers and partners on board?
2: I think it's, it's the same way that I would approach growth in any sort of scenario, which is here's a set of customer problems. And what is the best and most intuitive way in which we can solve that customer problem in a way that delights them and what truly matters to customers? Like to, to your example, if it's transfer-wise, customers care about price. Customers care about convenience. What can we do from a price and convenience standpoint that would be 10x better than anything else that's out there? It's the same approach if you like if I was at Amazon, it's like people care about selection, people care about speed, people care about delivery. Like what are the things we can do in each of these pillars that is 10x better than anything else that's out there? And again, in order for you to be able to do that, you need to dig deep into the customer psyche, go back to first principles and be like, what does delight look like? And then constructing delight and then working back from that endpoint to saying, what can we do to get there? It's the same thing here in terms of knowledge working. There's four key pillars in knowledge working. There's the management of information. There's the access of information. There's sharing of information. There's creating information. We call it the mask pillars. Uh, so, in, in in managing information, what does delightful managing of information look like? What is delightful accessing of information look like? Accesses instant, quick, fast, easy to use, easy to discover, easy to filter. What does that look? What does the ten x experience there look like? And then working back from there. So it's all uh, like I said. the The approach is first principles based and thinking what's meaningful to a customer. And the customer changes from scenario to scenario. Sometimes it's an organization, sometimes it's a team, sometimes it's an individual, but really keeping focus on who that is and what delight for them looks like and then working back from there.
1: Great. And how has that been working out so far? Can you share some numbers about how many organizations are using uh, Catalog today?
2: We're not quite public about that. Yeah, we're still very, very early in the stages. I can say it's a few thousand in our pipeline today. We're still actively developing the product. Uh, it's, it's super, super, super early. Yeah, but well,
1: I guess it's, this is the kind of product that you can keep developing uh, Forever. further and further. <laughs> it never stops, yeah. right? So so yeah. what, what stage would you say you're in? You're, I mean, obviously you're st- you have commercial offering. Um, it's out there and people can, can, can buy yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when would you say it's at a point where you envision it to be Not ready, but I guess at a point where you're satisfied with the first iteration.
2: So we we have a few waves of openings we've done so far. We did an early wave last year that we did a general availability early this year. There's a much bigger wave going out in August, September. So each of these are getting bigger and bigger in terms of customer sizes and customer volumes and the types of feedback that we're looking for. But by the end of the year, I imagine we'd go all guns blazing and owning the space and category.
1: Fantastic. And uh, what uh, size
2: team are you now? 34. And by the end of the year, you reckon? Uh, ideally, we'd like to keep as small as possible. We might grow a little bit more, but, you know, we have we have a f- properly stacked team today across product engineering, marketing, design, sales, quote. so there's an operation. So there's hopefully not much need for, for scaling further. But I said this when I was 15 people as well. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a typical one, isn't it? Um, it it's, but did-
1: it's hard to hold back. And do you, do you hire talent from anywhere or do you still maybe yeah. tap sort of the London ecosystem?
2: So uh, majority of the team is, is Europe. 30% of our team is in the US already. And there's people in India, there's people in Singapore, there's people in Bulgaria. But like we have, we have teams across all, all parts of the world and we have uh, 15 nationalities in our team of 34. So it's an incredibly diverse team from uh, all over the place. And I think that's, that's going to be the norm for fast scaling startups moving forward. It doesn't make sense anymore to hire locally the speed at which you can get talent like if you want to hire somebody in london today usually there's a two to three month notice period to begin with so if you have a target to hire five people you need to say that's about three to five months away but if you start hiring globally your availability and the quality of talent and the pool that you can draw from is 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 much bigger and much better
1: does it create any management challenges in the sense that You know, you're a fast growing company, you're very product driven, but you have to manage people across time zones and continents. Uh, Is that a culture
2: challenge? Yes and no. Yes, if you're not prepared for it. Uh, No, if if you understand the challenges and you're thoughtful about, again, going back to first principles and thinking, what is this team supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be collaborating. And what are the systems and practices and tools that we can give them to do that? And what are the expectations that we have from the team? If you set that clearly from the get go, the issues are constrained and can be contained to some extent. I mean, edges are there in every team in any form of operational format, but you can reduce it if you set the expectations quite clearly and acknowledge that this is the working model and here are the constraints of that working model and work against those uh, thoughtfully. That yeah, makes sense.
1: Um, you said at the end of the year, you want to go out, Guns blazing, uh, take over the space. What needs to happen for you to achieve that within, let's say, the next two, three years? Uh, what, what's the ideal roadmap for you as a company?
2: So there's nobody else really building this work hub, as I said. Uh, there, there have been people that are trying at you know, different parts of it, uh, and there's definitely competition in very singular areas. But if you take a step back and go, what does a digital office sort of look like? I, I don't think there's, there's been many attempts at it, or at least we're not familiar about it. Uh, what what they are so if our plans are to really scale up both our product our team and our market reach in in that space as quickly as possible so that we become that category defining company
1: Uh, what do you think will be the biggest challenge or roadblock
2: to achieve that
1: is it availability of talent availability of funding um is it
2: customer awareness what's it going to be as as with any startup it's how do you get to market and how do you grow that share in the market it's, it's the typical go to market challenges that you typically have from a product and talent perspective luckily we've not uh, we've not faced that uh, even so far and i think um, given the set, the way we are set up and the way the team has been set up we we continue to attract a uh, pretty strong talent to come join us, and uh, uh, the investors that we've got, and the team that we've got, and the opportunity in front of us does a good job of of creating that that magnet for people that are looking to join a fast growing startup and, and potentially learn and contribute from some really strong teammates. It's it, it's it's it is it is mostly a go to market challenge, and and how quickly can we get these product into as many people's hands, and uh, there's bigger organizations take more time to sort of evaluate the tool, understand how to what sort of change management do we need to bring in place, and how can we get this deployed across a thousand, two thousand person organization? That's a that's a function of time, and compressing that or parallelizing that as me, as much as possible is going to be a challenge.
1: Um, I want to go back to the, the question I asked earlier about you know having remote workers in in your team. And because I'm so interested in in the way that ecosystems, uh, especially in Europe, sort of form and 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 can help companies scale faster just by sheer being part of the community, do you feel like you're part of sort of the London UK startup ecosystem, especially now with the pandemic that everyone's like staying at home and not really meeting up in places like conferences or meetups and and all that? Do you feel like you're 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 part of the the London startup scene? Is basically my question.
2: Oh, no, absolutely. I think there's two parts to it. One is the company building side and there is the team building side, right? So for company building, I think in London's in a very, very, very good place right now, both from talent, investors, advisors, people who have a strong understanding of the nuances and challenges that come with building global scale companies. Like the, the ecosystem here is incredible. Like we have super angels now that didn't exist five years ago. Like Even that's just... This is a very, very recent happening where you have former unicorn employees who know how what, how things look, how the sausage gets made. Like you know what I mean, and they understand the process and the and the stages through which a company goes and what good looks like, what bad looks like. That that knowledge is incredibly critical to being resilient to to failure. And so that ecosystem from a company building side is incredibly strong in London. And I definitely feel like I'm a part of it. Like every time I need a connection through to somebody, or if I need an intro to somebody who's solved a specific challenge, that access exists in this ecosystem. And now, from a team building perspective, that's where, you know, yes, there's a strong pool in London, but now, the floodgates of global talent have opened. And uh, for specific talent like product, um, data science or finance, like the pool in London and pool in, in, in Europe might be better than say, if you're hiring from somewhere else, but there are specific uh, machine learning, for instance, like even even the big fan companies come to London to build out, build out their, their machine learning teams. And so there's specific pools of high quality talent that you can pick from and you can say, I want design talent that might be better off in these specific areas of the world, and engineering talent you might want to go to the, the US, for instance. Or if you want, there's the, now with this new world, I think that sort of setup is is open to, to companies. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to
1: see how it evolves. We'll uh, be very much uh, looking closely at sort of you know w- what is still the worth of an ecosystem and you know and finding talent. So.
2: I think it's less of an ecosystem. Like access is becoming much more prevalent to everywhere in, in, in the world. You don't need to be in SF anymore to get a meeting with an SF VC. You don't need to be in London to be hired by a London company. You don't need, to. so location as an ecosystem, I think is is getting less and less important, though it's still a critical part. Uh, it's, it's more of like to get access to those people, you still need some sense of belonging. Uh, in these ecosystems. And so new forms of building out ecosystems digitally will come come into play. And I don't know what sort of, it could be Clubhouse, it could be like, you know, some sort of digital, it could be Discord servers that suddenly come up for events, it could be Hopin. All these sorts of things, we don't quite know what's going to drive this new format. Could be Twitter being, being the primary source through which I've heard lots of early stage, small scale funds, most of their deal flow is now coming through Twitter. As opposed to, uh, like you know, traditional intros that a local ecosystem will provide. So we don't know what that at scale would look like, but it's definitely shifting from a, a geo-specific driver to a to a, you know, a to an ecosystem driver. Where that ecosystem sits, we don't quite know. Interesting to watch also interesting to
1: see how it evolves, both for company builders and investors. A brave new world, I would say. Uh, maybe a f- final question, a, a bit of a personal one. Where do you go for inspiration? Is it books? Is it other founders? Is it elsewhere? Uh, what do you, uh, where do you get uh, inspiration from? Inspiration for yeah. company building. To do what you do, essentially.
2: So it, it, it varies. So if it's creativity, I usually fall back to designers and architects. I really like how people who are really good at what they do and and have a style and have an ability to break down a complex problem, but also creatively solve that. I think uh, my inspiration is always, it's one of the reasons I did architecture to begin with, like these people inspire me tremendously. Uh, Mies van der Rohe and Le Corbusier, these people have a phenomenally clear view on how they solve problems that most other people don't. Very principled approaches to solving very essentially abstract problems, is very rare. And so I I keep going back to that for solving things that haven't been solved before. How do you, how do you approach those things? For inspiration, for most other things, I usually turn to like for product, there's experiences that you have, things that you personally like, and uh, technical challenges I typically look at how other people have done these things. Uh, So if, if it's uh, engineering at scale, the way Amazon approaches companies, internal companies and internal teams and internal services is, is an enormous source of inspiration. Yeah.
1: Great answers. Thank you so much. That's all I wanted to ask. I'm going to check out the product uh, uh, a little bit closer now because I think we can
2: really use it as a team. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for having me.
0: And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, follow us today wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Our audio engineering is done by SoundPulse. That is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are always very welcome. Please do send them to podcast@tech.eu. This was TechEU Podcast. I am Andrew Degler, and I will talk to you again very soon. For now, take care and enjoy the weekend. Bye-bye.